0: Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey,
1: it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence.
2: Welcome to
0: The Baldcast. A production of John Bald Baldface Truth.
1: My focus right now is on the men's basketball season this year. And it really picked up for me in watching Oregon beat USC, beat UCLA last week. I thought Jackson Shellstad in particular looked like uh, he was uh, the best guard on the court in either game. They've got Washington this week. Oregon is at Washington Thursday, at Washington State on Saturday. After that, it'll be Cal and uh, Colorado and Utah. In the next uh, five games or so, real opportunity for Dana Altman's team. If he can get his bigs back, look out. Oregon looks pretty good. Joining us now, Dana Altman. How you doing, Coach?
2: I'm doing well. Happy New Year. Yeah, start of the new year and uh, conference season in full swing now.
1: Now, I, my wife has this exercise where she asks everybody in the family to come up with a word for the year. Her word is simplify. My word is focus. I don't know if I need more focus. I don't know. Can I kind of do that anyway? But what would Dana Altman's word for the year be?
2: Ooh, right now, healthy. I'd like to get the team healthy. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, the guys are playing hard, John. I I, I liked how hard we played. Uh, We're still making too many execution mistakes and, um, you know, transition defensively at times we're not talking good enough but I had no problem with our effort I thought you know we were active we played pretty hard um you know now it's just a matter of as you mentioned if if we could get Dante and or Nate back um they're both really trying to come back um you don't want to rush that those two guys with the future you know after they leave here so we want to make sure that that they're healthy uh, but by the same token, uh, you know every game matters. We gave a game or two away, you know, in our non-conference, and um, you know we can't afford to to give any away. And Washington, Washington State are both having nice years. Both teams very well coached, and and we know we're going to have to play really well on the road uh, to get those games. Yeah, you,
1: when you you know talk about getting your bigs back you're obviously you want those guys to be healthy and back but it's given an opportunity maybe for some other guys to get minutes that they wouldn't get or to play a role they wouldn't normally play have you seen players blossom in in this time
2: kj evans um has really you know as a freshman made big strides um he started out i you know was on him pretty good about his physicality or lack thereof and and he's really come on. Um, he's really tried to make, you know, some defensive plays. He's blocked a few shots. He's got a, his hands on a lot of passes, uh, used his length well on the defensive end. Um, you know, he's had a couple of games where he's turned it over way too much. But, you know, he's, he's being aggressive. But, and that is an advantage when, you know, you only have seven or eight guys and, you know, guys have to play through mistakes you know, a lot of times they do come around quicker. And uh, it may cost you a game or two early. Uh, you hope to get those back late in the year when, when guys have more experience.
1: Jackson Shellstead has looked really good. And, you know, I've watched him in high school. People in this, uh, in this state have seen him play in big games and seen him play against Bronny James in the Les Schwab uh, Invitational. But, uh, you know, where is he? as as compared to maybe your expectations as a freshman?
2: Well, my expectations were pretty high for him just because, you know, I've known Jackson since he was an eighth grader. And um, I was a little worried about whether he'd, you know, grow, but he hit a little gro- growth spurt there and, and got a little bigger. And, um, you know, his skill level has always been really good. You know he and he's a competitive young man he's, he's been a lot of fun to work with um, he's always been a confident player because he's put so much time in and he's he's putting a lot of time in for us now and he, he got hurt and was out for four weeks and um, you know that held him back a little bit I think he missed four or five games to start the year but um, you know he's really trying to to make up for lost time by getting in the gym a little bit more now that he's healthy and he has had some really good games offensively defensively you know he's he's got uh, he's taken a few possessions off here and there and probably playing him a few too many minutes you know for as much time as he was out there but um, uh, with Keyshawn out for a few games and still battling trying to come back from an ankle injury uh, he's had to play extended minutes and Again, without the only thing I can say as negative is he takes a few possessions off defensively. Uh, but other than that, you know, he tries to run the show. He plays with tremendous confidence. Um, you know, the guys like playing with him, and um, he's been really coachable. You know, he tries to do everything we ask him to do. And, you know, hopefully he'll continue to get bigger as his maturity as he gets older. And um, you know he'll get better and better.
1: Give me an idea because I'm not in the business of recruiting high school players or transfer portal players and then trying to coach them afterwards. Do you is it easy to recognize whether a kid is coachable before you get them?
2: Not really. Um, you know, the demands you place, you know are usually a little bit more than they have at the high school level. Um Unless you really know the high school coaches and and you can talk with them, uh, but that's where you know going to games and watching their body language and watching how they interact with their teammates, you know is something that you know you' like to do as much as you can and during covid and and you know some of the recruiting restrictions, you weren't able to do that quite as much, but being there in person. Uh, Watching how they respond to pressure, how they respond to their teammates, any adversity that may come up in the game is always helpful. Other than that, you kind of got to count on the coach. And, you know, every coach's standards are different. So it's not an exact science by any means. And you mentioned a lot of things that are going on now with the transfer portal. Uh, You don't really get to research some of those guys as much as you would like. Uh, NIL has had an effect on not only recruiting, but you know how guys view themselves on the team, and you know uh, those are all things that you know for an 18-year-old are hard to decipher. And um, so it's it's not an exact science, and it's definitely been a change over the last three or four years, and something that an old man like myself is is having a little hard time adjusting to. <laughs> But yeah. uh, <laughs> I think you, we all are. You either though. got to adjust or, or fall behind. And, um, you know, agents getting involved now. You know, uh, before players couldn't have agents, now they can't have an agent. So not only are you answering to parents and high school coaches and AAU coaches, girlfriends, uh, now you got agents. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a tough time. For an 18, 19-year-old. But I think Jackson's handled it pretty well. Um, AJ has handled it well. They've got great parent support there, and I think that helps. Uh, And Mookie's going to be a good player for us. Uh, He's been doing a little bit more live action here, and hopefully we can get him a few minutes maybe this weekend and and get him started. But uh, all three of those guys have, have done a good job they've battled some injuries but they're all trying to play and doing a good job for us
1: i remember a time when you as a college coach had a relationship with the high school coach and that was the person that was important in the recruitment it was you know outside of the family and and then it became here was an aau coach or a club coach and that changed the equation now you're talking about agents at what point does the agent get involved when you're recruiting a player
2: Oh, John! With with uh, transfer portal, a lot of those guys have agents. It's a lot of times the first contact. They they call us and say, "Hey, we've got this kid, and and his name's in the portal. Are you interested?" So, you know, the agents are out there shopping them around, and uh, you know, again, that's really been a big change for me. And um, you know, the money that's involved, and uh, that is, it's it's just a big change. You know, for Forty years that I was doing this, the worst thing that could have been said about you is that you bought players, (laughs) and um, now you know that's part of the equation. You know how much money they're getting, and all that is is a big part of the equation. And so it it's changed so drastically, so quickly that um, you know you got to adjust, and you got to play the game, and and the game has really changed.
1: Do you have to have a person on your staff then who who is dealing with the agent? Because if I'm with if I'm you, I don't want to deal with the agent. Like that needs to be somebody else's job. But you know, I'm I'm like you. I uh, you know, there might be some coaches who definitely want to be involved with that agent early on. Do you do you pass that person to somebody, or is that a conversation you're having?
2: I'm having a lot of them. You know, I, I think our entire staff is. Um... You know, but at some point in time, that agent probably is going to get me on the phone if, if we get serious about it. And, you know, that's, again, has been a big change for me. Um, and, you know, but it's just something you got to do. And uh, so, again, these are things that have all popped up in the last couple of years. And, and those agents are, are dealing because they, they get a part of that NIL and so they're they're looking out for their clients and they're trying to drive the best deal possible and a lot of times they're maybe throwing numbers that aren't accurate trying to get their their client their player a better deal so again the game's changed john and um, you know it's it's a different period Um, i mentioned that we've got to adjust and, and i've got to do a better job of it you know i I don't feel like I adjusted quick enough, and uh, the game changed quickly on me there. And I always liked the thought that I kept up with the times, but uh, this has been a little different.
1: Dana Altman, with us, University of Oregon men's basketball coach. I, I, I think in a recent post game, you kind of mentioned that Biddle and Dante will get evaluated here this month. Are are you anticipating that one or both might? suit up in the month of january or is this a february conversation or what are you hoping for
2: well i'm hoping january um but i you know i want to be optimistic they're both working at it I, um i love the effort they're putting in and trying to rehab and get back to their team um mookie's you know worked hard but again the expectations for mookie's been out eight months and um you know, live action for eight months, it's, it's going to be an adjustment period coming back. Uh, he hurt that, you know, ankle last week, April, first week of May. And and so it's been a full eight months since he's seen any action. And so it's going to take a while for him to get back. You know, Nate and Dante now have been out for, you know, they had their surgery six weeks ago. And so it's not going to be a quick turnaround for them either. So uh, again, I'll, you know, hope to get them back because we sure need them. You, you can tell if you've watched us play. You know, we're not throwing it inside. We've, we've got a lot of, you know, spread in the floor trying to. But you can only play that way so long. Eventually, you've got to throw that thing inside. And eventually, you got to have some rim protection. And uh, those two guys definitely give us that.
1: Yeah, you've got, you know, some guys that you mentioned that are playing well. This week, you've got Washington, Washington State. What do you see on film when you look at those two opponents this week?
2: Well, Washington's one of the oldest teams in the country. Uh, they're very experienced. They're old. You know, uh, our fans are familiar with Moses Wood, who who played at Portland. He's doing a nice job for him. Uh, Brooks and Wheeler, two guys that transferred in from Kentucky, so you know the talent level there. A young man from Rutgers, who's you know grad transfer. You know, they're starting. Four grad transfers and a senior, so um, you know they're old. They're very experienced, and they're deep. You know they've got they've got ten guys that they're rotating in there. So we know that we're going to have to have to play really well, and uh, you know the seven eight guys whoever we have in our rotation you know are really going to have to be focused and going to have to play extended minutes and and play through some adversity. Uh, so, but Washington is a good team, and, and they're well coached. They're doing a great job. They're mixing up their defenses. You know, they've always gone almost exclusively man since Mike's been there. or course, me zone, but now they're going man a lot more uh, than zone. And so, throwing the zone in is kind of a change-up. But, uh, you know, the last five years since Mike's been there, it's been all zone.
1: Dana Altman, with us, uh, the conference as a whole. You know, I heard people early on saying, "Hey, it's Arizona and everybody else," and then Stanford beats Arizona. What do you see in the Pac-12? How do you expect this conference season to go?
2: Well, I think Colorado's really good. Um, you know, I, I think they're old, experienced, and um, deep. So I think Colorado right now is is maybe the second best team. Stanford. Obviously is talented, and they've played a really tough schedule and you know lost some close games, but uh you know you saw what they could do they they hit sixteen to twenty five threes in that ball game, so that kind of uh, you know that's how you score a hundred points against Arizona, who is really good and really deep uh Arizona states bounce back, they get a couple of the double transfers that once the NCA changed that rule uh, you know. <laughs> kind of making up the rules as we go here the double transfers weren't eligible to start the season now all (laughs) of a sudden uh, they are eligible and so Arizona State got a lot better real quick and uh, brought in a couple starters that were double transfers Uh, you know UCLA and USC are really talented both teams Uh, UCLA's just young and USC is just kind of struggling to find you know rotation and and roles for all their guys but they're both really talented uh, Washington Washington State are both playing really well you we know as I said we're going to have our work cut out and I Wayne's done a great job they've won all those close games and and they're they're a young team and so and they popped USC they played their best game from what I've seen um, you know I thought they played really good against USC the other night so uh, again it's going to be a balance in the Colorado Utah Swing is is the toughest utah's playing really good so uh, balanced league you know we didn't do as well in the non-conferences i hoped a league as a league conference we would have done uh but i think we've got some really competitive teams and it's going to be a, a big conference race that i think will be a pretty good one
1: coach i really appreciate you making time it's been fun to watch your guys uh develop especially the young guys I look forward to seeing, just like you. You know, you want Dante and Biddle back. I'd like to see him on the court. I think, you know, you could be a not just a tournament team, but you could be a really tough out in the tournament if you can get those all back. And I know a lot of that's out of your control, but uh, you know, healthy, uh, healthy being the word for the year for you is not a bad word.
2: Well, we've had a couple years here where things just, uh, you know, we've we've been nicked up more than usual, and it's created some problems, but. I really do think if we get those guys back, it gives us rim protection, which we've has we, really hurt our defense. And it gives us an inside scoring threat, which would really help our offense. And those two things, those two guys can give us, and those are the two things we desperately need. So hopefully we'll get one or both of them back here and, and we can make a little run.
1: Well, good luck to you. I will see you down the road. Thanks for joining us.
2: All right, John. Take care.
1: Take care, Coach Dana Altman. There he goes, uh, Steven, We got a download on that. I've got some thoughts, but if they can get, if they can get Dante or Biddle back, I'm not going to say and. And Dante's the guy that I would want back if I were Dana Altman. Biddle certainly adds something, but if you can get Dante back in the shorter term and then Biddle back eventually, the guards. He's got great guards, and he's got a great young forward. He's got uh, Shellstad, who I think, come tournament time, will be blossoming. Uh, that Oregon team is is dangerous, particularly in a conference that doesn't have dominant teams. Like, UCLA doesn't look dominant. U- USC, uh, a lot of pressure on Andy Enfield right now. People upset with how USC has played to this point of the season. Uh, I think he's ready to, like a parent uh, parent uh, coach sit down ahead at USC. You know which parent I'm talking about. But uh, what do you what do you think of Oregon?
0: Yeah, no, that, and here's the thing is, in the NCAA tournament, John, you're always looking at what team has those guards, right, that can really lead you to a victory. And Oregon has them, right? When they're healthy, they have them with Kuznard and you said Shellstad, like he's really, you know, taking those reins. Brendan Rigsby, Rigsby off the bench. You know, if they can get another guy, even, you know, another guard that is one of those guys, they can take over games, but their strength really is those big men. And so you're right, if they can get one of those guys back, whether it's Biddle or Dante, they have a complete team. And then K J Evans, he's stepped in and you know, Altman even said this, he stepped into a new role with Biddle and Dante being hurt. He's had to be, you know, the big basically on the team. And that's not even his best role. His best role is kinda of just being a slasher, being athletic, being a young nineteen year old that's six foot nine and can play in the NBA. Like that's what his best role is. And so now he's, you know, filling it out and trying to become just a better player, become a guy that can be physical, so I think you're right. I think Oregon is a tournament team, and I think that they could actually go on a nice little run here in the Pac-12 because you know the Pac-12. I wouldn't say it's down, but I say it, I would say it's wide open, right? Like, I think there's a chance that if one of these teams gets healthy, gets on a roll, they could really uh, you know take advantage of uh, just how the Pac-12 goes.
1: I think it is down. I I because I I always judge conferences by their best teams, and you know like right now we're in football. We look at Washington playing for the national championship. We look at Oregon which was a team that flirted with being in the playoff. You look at Arizona, you look at Oregon State, USC, Utah. You know, that top six, those are your best teams. That fortifies your conference. That makes you who you are. You don't talk about Colorado at 1-8 and eight in conference play or at Stanford or Arizona State or Washington State who ended up at the bottom of the conference. You don't, you don't hold those up as the shining examples of how good you can be. But in men's basketball, he likes Colorado, Utah. Arizona certainly they're 10 and 3. They're they're top 10, top 15 team, you know, regardless of how you spin it, even the loss to Stanford. Um after that, I do think that the conference is a little deeper because of Oregon State being better than expected, Stanford being better than expected, certainly UCLA creates some depth even though they're not at the top, but there's not a there's not a, like a clear final 4 team or a, you know, even a lead 8 team after Arizona's Lost to Stanford, I'm kind of wondering about them. That's where this conference needs help. It needs somebody like Colorado or Utah or Oregon with Dante and Biddle back to emerge as a team that could be dangerous in a tournament.
0: Yeah, I actually think Colorado is the best team in the conference, and I think it's, they're going to end up winning the conference. Uh, you know, they got they got a freshman in Cody Williams who's going to be an NBA guy, and then they got, as all been said, some veterans with the Silva and KJ Simpson. Like they got the guards, they got the bigs. Uh, Eddie Lampkin's a guy who played at TCU a couple of years ago when they. Battled Gonzaga really close. He was a big guy that can play. Like I think Colorado is the best team and probably has the best chance of making the tournament run. But it all just kind of has to come together for him. You're right. Like they're not a guaranteed second weekend team. And I think so. You're right on that point that the Pac-12 isn't necessarily top heavy right now.
1: Leave it here. You got the BFT more ahead. Some parting thoughts. I was a little surprised, Stephen, that your five at five did not mention the uh, Carolina Panthers
0: owner. Well. Funny story, no, a drink about, it fans. funny story about that, John. Uh, at four fifty-seven, I had six stories, and I went to ask Judah what would be the best fifth story I had, or uh, you know, I needed two stories, and I had three mm-hmm. different options. That was the other option was the David Tepper story. David
1: Tepper was fined today three hundred thousand dollars by the NFL. I don't know what the most expensive drink you ever bought was, but Tepper had a three hundred thousand dollar drink that he threw in the direction of a Jaguar fan from his open air suite in Jacksonville. Um, the NFL is saying that uh, personnel are expected to conduct themselves blah 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 in a proper way blah blah blah. Favourably reflect on your team and the NFL blah blah blah. Tepper then said in a statement that he is passionate about his team but regrets his behavior. That's such a stupid response. Well, is, it, a statement.
0: is it the three hundred thousand? Basically, the same price that you and me would pay for like a drink. Yeah, because right. he has so much money. I mean, right? Yeah. It's like you know, ten bucks. He. um Needs
1: to understand that he plays by different rules because he's the owner of the team. Um, He needs to understand that uh, he needs to take the higher road than a fan. He is the second richest owner in the league. He's got a net worth of like $20 billion. So the fine is less than 1% of 1% of his wealth. Um, Very similar to what Bud Adams got in 2009. Remember this one? Tennessee owner uh, made an obscene gesture at Buffalo fans. And he got two hundred fifty thousand dollar fine. So now three hundred thousand dollars. And and by the way, the the video was posted on social media by a Jags fan who shot the video from another suite. And you know, three minutes to go in the game. Bryce Young throws a pick. Very frustrated. Bryce Young throws a tablet on the sideline. Carolina. By the way hadn't been shut out in 342 games panthers are 2 and 14 it's a bad year and tepper throws the drink very little has gone right and uh you gotta wonder if carolina would consider that the quarterback is part of the problem or not part of the problem do you think it's a bryce young problem or is bryce young just part of the problem or is he not at all the problem
0: it's too early to tell for me with bryce young i mean the 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 offensive line isn't very good the running game's not very good like he just doesn't have weapons right now and it was an unfair spot and they go frank Wright as their head coach like that was a bad hire i think it's too early to tell if bryce young's a problem but the bigger problem john is uh the panthers don't have their first pick in the draft it would be the first overall pick they don't have it it's going to the bears because they traded it up for bryce young so they don't even get that pick like the panthers in a real bad spot here and I just think it's it's really bad of Tepper to be throwing drinks at people, and there's been instances where fans throw drinks at players, and they get barred for you know banned from life. So I, I just think they have to come down stronger than what they did. And It just looks bad again.
1: Yeah, it's a bad look, and Tepper, you know, you talk about owners. I think owners and GMs should also have records attached to them, like head coaches have. Because it's not just the head coach who's responsible for winning or losing the game. We all know that. But we sort of just accept that, you know, when Don Shula's record is Don Shula's record. We don't look at the GM's record or whatever. I I actually think Neil Olshay, you know, all those losses that the Blazers had in the last few years, should count on his record. I think Tepper as an owner should have a record. What's his record since he bought the team? He's 31-67. and 67. So that you could say as a fan, you could say, fire the damn owner, he's 31-67. and 67. I
0: wonder what Jody's record is.
1: Yeah, the owners should have records. Why do the owners not ha- get to not have a record? Just because they own the damn team? You should have a record. We're back tomorrow, another great show, grab a podcast. We
2: interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Baltic. Hey,
1: sorry to interrupt the podcast, but...